everybody. Welcome back to the Locked On Red Wings podcast. Today is Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. I am your host, Detroit sports writer Noel Bianchi, here today, as always, with longtime Red Wings fan Ethan Smith. Hi, guys. How's your weekend? Well, I guess it's Thursday. We're recording this on a Monday, so I forgot. (laughs) I'll ask about your weekend, too. It's all the same at this point, frankly. Yeah, it's all good. I'm guessing the next three days of my life are going to be very boring spent inside, but my weekend was nice. It was, you know, when it was outside, I did some walking around. You know, I'm still trying to be productive. Same old stuff. Same old stuff. All right. And we uh, we are joined today by the honorable, the man of the law, Sergio Colchester, here today as we continue to go through the bracket to determine the greatest Red Wings figure of all time. It is the final four. It is pure excitement here in the Lockdown Red Wings studio. And Sergio, how does it feel to be joining us for this very, very special edition? It feels right, boys. I'm walking the streets of Detroit as we speak, uh, and and it really does feel like Final Four season out here. That's true. Nice, a little mild temperature, beautiful sunset. I'm uh, I'm raring to go. It feels like the Red Wings are about to go on a playoff run, but unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we didn't get to. Uh, kind of frequently be reminded of the fact that the Red Wings used to be a team that played hockey come April, May, and June. Uh, but in the meantime, we're, we're continuing to look back at these moments. We've got our final four today and tomorrow. One matchup today, Nicholas Lidstrom versus Steve Eiserman. One matchup tomorrow, Gordie Howe versus Sergei Fedorov. I'm excited. Are you guys excited? I'm very excited. I look forward to this. <laughs> we'll move quickly into our first matchup because I think there's going to be a lot of debate to be made. And uh, we're going to kind of do this in the same format as we did last week to where we're kind of making the case for both players and then coming to a group consensus at the end. Uh, so we'll start with the number one overall seed in Steve Eiserman. He's a fourth overall pick in 1983, three-time Stanley Cup winner, seventh all-time in points uh, in the NHL, ninth all-time in assists, tenth all-time in goals, ten-time all-star, the accolades do not stop with this guy. He is the captain, the longest-serving captain of all time, 19 seasons, four number 19. Uh, where do you start with this one, Ethan? In my childhood, this, is, this was the guy, you know? It's the person that the city is looking to. He's, he had so much pressure on him through the first, what, 10-plus seasons of his career where the Red Wings achieved absolutely nothing. They were the Dead Wings. And then he gets this team, and he finally wins, and he wins three cups. And then he retires, a legend, jersey with the C in the rafters. And then he becomes one of the best general managers of the modern day NHL. And then he comes back here and he's going to rebuild it. Now you tell me, now you tell me what Nicholas Lindstrom has done since he left here besides <laughs> publish a book. And that's it. But I mean, you know, I somebody else has getting a little stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, uh, I'll piggyback off of that for a second. Like, not only was this to me is a battle of intangibles because you look at at it and Nicholas Lidstrom statistically and Steve Eiserman statistically right about the same level of statistical production. Uh, we mentioned where Eiserman stood all time in those. Uh, in those categories and Lidstrom, he's, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth. I have the exact numbers that I'll bring up when we get into him, but he's kind of right there in the mix too, in terms of all time points among defensemen and whatnot. So to me, uh, that's really what this breaks down to. Cause uh, you know, Steve Eiserman, he, 
had two 60 goal seasons. He had five 50 goal seasons. I think that that's one thing that maybe sometimes gets a little lost in his lure because he wasn't necessarily that productive when the Red Wings were winning Stanley Cups. Uh, but this guy was a bona fide talent when it came to playing the game of hockey. And then he readjusted his style of play to uh, be a lot, you know, more selfless. Uh, he was a bigger team player, had a lot of help, and that certainly helped as things went on. Uh, but, you know, six straight seasons with 100-plus points and he doesn't win anything, then he kind of takes less of a role in that respect uh, to step aside and make way for guys like Sergei Fedorov, who we'll get to on tomorrow's episode, make way for guys like Brennan Shanahan and all that other talent that they had up front on that team. Uh, and to me, I think that that's kind of one of the things that sets Nicholas Lidstrom apart was his ability to kind of adapt to his new surroundings and lead a team to the cup, despite maybe not necessarily putting up the most points on the team. The greatest all right. defenseman of all time. Uh, okay. Do you guys remember back a long lifetime ago when we had live sporting events? Uh, Barely. There was uh, – yeah, I don't, it's, it's deep in the recesses of my memory, but I, I vaguely remember uh, this, this ballpark called Comerica Park, and there's a, a very uh, famous and iconic building out in right field with a giant uh, kind of hideous mural of some, some whale or dolphin. You guys know what I'm talking about? It was a whale. Yeah, it was a whale. All right. I, I, I know dolphins. it was so long ago. I can no, barely. Was it? Was it? I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, for a pretty significant stretch of time, there was a gigantic banner covering those dolphins. Um, and it was a banner of none other than the captain, Steve Eiserman. It was probably. The most prominent sort of mural in, in what's now a city that's known for lots of prominent murals. At the time, this being the late 90s, early 2000s, it was, it was probably the most prominent giant piece of art like that in the city. Uh, it was just a giant sign, uh, a giant picture of Steve Eisenman on a building. Um, cause that was what we had. That was what we had in this city was Steve Eiserman, uh, the, the leader of the Red Wings and the, uh, the dynasty of, from, of the late nineties and early two thousands. Um, that alone, that's, that's my case for Steve Eiserman is that, that building with a 70 foot, uh, picture of him in the middle of a post-apocalyptic city with a bunch of rundown buildings and uh and not very much art other other than that well sergio you're gonna have to make a more convincing argument than that because uh if my memory serves me correctly that that mural eventually was unleashed back into the world uh and then sometime around like the 2010s maybe sometime around that the uh the mural was replaced again covered up again uh, by something else, and it was a giant poster of the Verizon guy saying, "Can you hear me now?" But by this time, he was with Sprint, and so uh, oh I, you know, those two men sharing that distinction. I, I don't know if that necessarily qualifies. Let's hope you bring a little bit better heat uh, for your Nicholas Lidstrom argument. 
<laughs> it was really bad. You, like, please cut the whole thing. No, it's it's off. no, it's staying up. No, it's staying no, no, no. up. All of this but, is staying no, up too. This all has to stay up. What happened was somewhere down the line, I had like a whole speech planned out for Steve Eisenman. And somewhere down the line, I was like, oh no, I need to talk about his knee surgery. And I just like, you know, scrambled to 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 get the facts on the knee surgery. Because that's like that's some real shit. And uh, and then I lost my whole speech about Steve Eisman. I knew that it was going to start with that building, and I did such a bad job of explaining it. I am cut it all. That's okay. Cut it That's all. okay. That's okay. Let's let's. let's I'm going to jump into. I'm going to jump into Nicholas Lindstrom here. Second most games played for the Detroit Red Wings, trailing only Gordie Howe in that distinction. Four-time Stanley Cup winner, captain for six years, twelve-time NHL All-Star, ten-time NHL First Team. Seven-time Norris Trophy winner, six amongst NHL defensemen all-time in points with 1,142, eighth amongst all NHL defensemen in all-time goals with 264. Uh, the guy who kind of picked up the torch from Steve Eisenman, the guy we just talked about and ran with it, leading the team to a, a cup in a new era in 2008 and then another appearance in 2009 with lots of President's Trophy finishes in between. Uh, he, to me, is a guy who, if – it's not Steve Eiserman who's a perfect hockey player. Nicholas Lidstrom is a perfect hockey player. They call him the perfect human for a reason. Uh, what do you got on this, Sergio? Well, I think that there is a legitimate argument to be made that Nick Lidstrom is not only a better hockey player than Steve Eiserman, but a significantly better player than Steve Eiserman. Um, playing a different position, of course. Uh, but by all means, I've never seen anybody play the blue line as well as Nick Lidstrom has and I've been alive for 32 years and I don't and I think that if anybody brought somebody up that played in those 32 years they would be objectively wrong if they said that they were better than Nick Lidstrom so that alone there are a lot of forwards a lot of forwards probably at least more than you can count on one hand that are just objectively better hockey players than Steve Eiserman. Uh, so I think they, they might be not necessarily as similar, even though the numbers skew in favor of Eisenman, uh, the on ice perfection, for lack of a better word, uh, really sort of puts Nick Lidstrom over the top for me there. Um, he really sort of was a key cog in everything that the Red Wings did. He's on the ice for over half the game sometimes, if not over half the game, almost half the game, which is a much which has a, a lot bigger of an impact uh than somebody like a forward that, you know, is out there at most uh a little bit under a third of the game in terms of ice time. And he did everything in the defensive end. He cleaned stuff up. Nolan, I don't know if you brought up his, uh, his plus minus numbers for his career, but in the defensive end, he, uh, he prevented as many goals as you could have prevented if you had a truly elite goaltender. And when we talk about, you know, how the, the Red Wings were fine with Chris Osgood and, 
you know, there, there hasn't been like a, a real truly elite goaltender in the crease for the Red Wings throughout the course of this whole, that whole 25 year run. They didn't really need one because they had Nick Lidstrom. Uh, and the offensive end, his playmaking on the power play was unmatched. He, he sort of invented the precision passing off of the boards that became a truly uh, sort of signature part of the Red Wings play style and what, what set them apart using the, the real active boards at the Joe. Um, he did it all, and, and he was – He's the best. He's the best defenseman I've ever watched. Yeah, well, and that's, you, that's my case for Nick Lindstrom. I mean, you kind of brought up an interesting point in there, and we'll kick it to you in a second, Ethan. But one thing that I think makes this a more compelling argument than it would be on its face is if you simply ask the question: If I'm lining up for a Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals in, let's say, 2000, 2001, you know, whatever year you want it to be, take these each of their guys in their prime careers, and you have to play one. You have to play the game without one of them. I think you pick Steve Eiserman to sit out of that game instead of Nicholas Lidstrom, at which point that represents that he's a more valuable player. And if they have similar stature within hockey history, then I think that, you know, you could certainly say that Nicholas Lidstrom was a greater Red Wing just out of being a more valuable hockey player for the long term of his career. Yeah. You know, going off what both of you guys said about these two, if you're going to give me a top 10 of forwards in the history of the NHL, I'd say about maybe 70% of the time, Eisman could be left off that list. But there is not, there wouldn't be one person that says Nicholas Lindstrom isn't number one or number two for defensemen. And you're also, you also guys have to think of the accolades that he's the first European born player to win a Norris trophy. First European-born player to win a Smythe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he won seven. And he won, and he won the Conn Smythe Trophy. And he's the first European-born captain to lift the Stanley Cup. I mean, those are those are barriers being broken down for every other NHL player in his in in the future. Right. So, so at which point you kind of look at the argument from well, who is a greater Red Wing? And Steve Eiserman certainly, like we mentioned before, the longest-serving captain in NHL history with 19 years. But Nicholas Lidstrom, he was the perfect human. If he had been drafted fourth overall in 1983 and Eiserman went in the third round, or I think it was the third round, uh, back in 1989, we're looking at two completely different you know, career trajectories. Steve Eiserman only gets to be the captain for six years at the end of his career. So you could make an argument that the only reason why – Steve Eiserman is consent like because I feel like Nicholas Lidstrom is in a bit of an uphill battle here so if you're just kind of constructing the argument of why Nicholas Lidstrom deserves to be above Steve Eiserman you could make the argument that uh, Steve Eiserman is only looked at as the better slash greater Red Wing simply because of the fact that he got here first and already had the captain role locked up by the time that Nicholas Lidstrom was drafted and was able to grow into his own here. Now, the only argument I have with that is if we're looking at how they impacted the Red Wings outside of the ice and outside mm-hmm. of the game in itself, we, it's undeniable that Eisman has already had a bigger impact post-career than Lindstrom has. 
I know that's just choice. I mean, that's just strictly choice. I'm sure if Lindstrom wanted to do something in the organization, no, he wouldn't have even had to lift a finger and he would have gotten any, uh, uh, you know, a career. Any of front office choosing. he wanted. Right. But, you know, with Eisenman honing his skills here in the front office and then going to Tampa Bay and now coming back is a big reason to me why it's, it, I could still see people swaying in the other direction saying why Eisenman is still more important to this city than Nicholas Lindstrom. Yeah, and you could even say, we'll kick it to you for, for maybe some closing arguments in a second here, Sergio, but while uh, Nicholas Lindstrom was you know, inarguably a top three defensemen of all time, we tend to believe that he's the greatest defenseman of all time. You know, the same cannot be said, but like you just mentioned, I would, you could also say that Steve Eiserman has a better hockey mind than Nicholas Lidstrom, and that's not necessarily relevant to the Red Wings right now, but look what Steve Eiserman has done uh, with Team Canada. He turned Tampa Bay into a hockey hotbed. Uh, he's back here now to, to construct the Red Wings and generally looked at as a top five GM in the NHL. So stature, uh, just league-wide, sport-wide, you know, from that front, I think kind of elevates him as well because his origin story happened here. Well, I'm trying to avoid doing the very obvious, you know, ethos and, like, arguing from my heart part of this that makes this not even remotely close because it's, it's Steve Eiserman. And so one thing I wanted to, to jump on is that, Nolan, I remember you just said that, you know, in a, if we could alter the course of history and, and switch it so that Nicholas Lidstrom gets drafted in 1983 and Steve Eiserman gets drafted in 1989, who knows, you know, maybe, maybe they're uh, – roles are reversed in the hearts and memories of Detroit sports fans. But I don't think that it's that easy because I think a lot of what Nicholas Lidstrom was able to be and who he, who he was and what his, and where his greatness came from was a direct result of playing with a guy like Steve Eiserman um, and being able to, you know, have a role model or mold himself to be the kind of leader that Steve Eiserman set the standard for in the early nineties. Um, the, you know, quiet, um, lead by example type of captain that has become sort of the, the mold for, for Red Wings captains. And, uh, and I don't know that Nicholas Lidstrom can become that if Steve Eiserman didn't, you know, wear that suit so perfectly for the majority of Nicholas Lidstrom's career. Well, even just to that point, too, because I think that's very fair and not even necessarily in the scheme of simply being a captain or a leader, but I guess just in the sense that Nicholas Lidstrom was a direct benefactor of the culture that Steve Eiserman helped build in Detroit. So Steve Eiserman comes in with far more expectations than Nicholas Lidstrom ever could have when he was drafted in, you know, in the later rounds uh, of 19, that 1989 draft. And 
you know, you kind of look at it from the sense of like Steve Eisenman filled every single expectation that it can be expected of a top five pick and then some, you know, you hope that uh, your top five pick ends up being a first line player who makes a couple all-star games, hopefully gets you a cup and, and stuff like that. But the simple fact of the matter is that simply doesn't happen a lot. And when you're a guy who comes to a team in the state that the Red Wings were when he was drafted, and then you follow through on the promise that kind of came with your arrival, I think it's impossible to ignore that fact. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, Ethan, what, what do you think? Who would you, at this point, you know, would you, would you be going Eisenman or Lindstrom? Look, I mean, I have to go with Lindstrom. I mean, Eisman. I mean, no, Eisman. Eisman. I mean, I mean, Eisman. Sorry. My bad. Yeah, my bad. No, I mean, I just have to, just based off of what he's done outside the game, and I, I just have to go with Eisman on this. I'm going to go and with Eisman. Love, I love Nick Lindstrom. Yeah, yeah. And, and realistically, like, this was a unanimous decision, but also I think because of a lot of the points we raised, this is a lot closer of a matchup than I think we would traditionally be led to believe. Uh and maybe it's just because it's we've spent the last couple of weeks continually racking them up uh, uh, against opponents and comparing them to other players. But I think when you look at, you know, just in terms of who was the better overall hockey player, there isn't much discrepancy. There really isn't. So I mean, just two phenomenal players. All right, well, that'll do it for the first matchup of this Final Four. Steve Eisman advances to the championship round over Nicholas Lidstrom, two of the more recent Red Wing captains that we've had here in this city, both Stanley Cup champions, both top 10 all-time in scoring at their respective positions. Uh, it was a close battle. Some things were said. Uh, some arguments were made. Not too many good ones there by Sergio until in the latter half of the episode, but it's all right. I know he's just getting primed up for this uh, second final four match that we got coming for you guys tomorrow. It's going to be the number two overall, Gordie Howe, versus the number six overall, Sergei Fedorov. I'm just as excited, if not more excited, for that one because I got a lot of emotion coming. Uh, and I know Sergio does too. Ethan's going to try and probably come at it from – from a more logical standpoint, and that's fine. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see who makes it to the championship round. Steve Eisenman has punched his ticket. Now all he needs is an opponent. Boys, do you have any last thoughts? Are you recording from the side of the 75, Sergio? No, I'm at uh, the corner of Trumbull and Warren, which is a little bit more uh, busy than I anticipated. <laughs> what about you, Ethan? Um... No. Nope, that's about it. Let's let's get going on this next one. I'm really excited for it.